0: Welcome to science and non-duality. What is non-duality? Universal forces. It's the collective conscious. Being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves.
1: That matter is energy, energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about.
2: There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we, there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Yeah.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you are. My well, oh,
2: Welcome, welcome yeah. everyone.
0: Yes. Welcome
2: Linda. <laughs>
0: welcome Linda. My name is Maurizio Benazzo.
2: My name is Zaya Benazzo and we are speaking today from indigenous coastal Miwok Land and Pomo indigenous land, yes. um, so-called Sebastopol. And yes. We are delighted to have as a guest today, Linda Tai. So good to have you with us, Linda. Yeah.
0: And you maybe, we with start, you? yeah. maybe we start reading a brief bio okay. in case uh, introduce to listen. introduce you more formally. So Linda Tai is a trauma therapist and educator who specializes in brain and body based modality for addressing complex developmental trauma. Linda's work centers on healing with a special focus on the experiences of adult children of refugees and immigrants. Her teaching is infused with empathy, storytelling, humor, research, practical tool, applied knowledge and experiential wisdom. Over and over.
2: And Linda, I wonder if you could offer something to bring us fully here to orient. we're coming from so many mm, directions. Uh, and just so we're, we're, we're here yeah. together.
1: Yes, so, so welcome friends, I'm coming to you today from the lands of the Duwamish and Coast Salish peoples, um, I live on the traditional lands of the Tanana Athabaskan peoples of the Middle Tanana Valley, also known as Fairbanks, Alaska, and I was born in Vietnam and raised in Australia. I'm a former child refugee, and let us start with an exercise that comes from, uh, it actually comes from the world of um, Aikido, a way of centering ourselves and placing ourselves into this moment. So if you like, I invite you to orient towards the horizon, the horizon right in front of you. Allow your gaze to soften. And bring the back of your head back and your chin down, lengthen through the spine, if that feels okay with you. And then I invite you to have a look over your right shoulder towards the horizon there, or the imaginary horizon. And then if you like, I invite you to scan the Horizon, the imaginary horizon over to your left shoulder. And then let's trace all the way to the left so you're looking all the way behind you. And then coming through centre and all the way behind you in the other direction. And then coming back through centre. So we've connected to those who have come before us, those behind us, the direction in front of us, as well as those who have yet to come, and those who are here alongside us at our shoulders. Let's orient now to the sky above as well as the earth below. So the ground beneath your feet, the lava, the mud, the earthworm, the grass, the sedges, the rivers, and then looking up towards the trees and the mountains and then the clouds and the sky, the moon and the stars and the aurora. And then coming back through centre and then the seventh direction is right here. So if you like, I invite you to, if it's okay with you, to look down at torso center where all of these six directions connect. And then if you like to imagine a straight line from your torso center through your feet into the earth. And as you bring your head up, to notice lines of energy at each of the four directions, as well as connected through to the sky above. And in that directionality, positionality, to connect the 490 people who are currently in this space together at the same time. and to experience, as it feels okay with you, the experience of being a part of something bigger than yourself. Those who have come before, the future ahead of you and those who have yet to come, those who stand alongside you, the natural world from the ground below you to the sky above and you here with us in this present moment. And then as you like, perhaps you may wish to seal this practice with a self-touch or a self-hold that feels okay with you. And it's optional, so you don't have to. Mm. Throughout our time today, you don't have to look towards the screen the whole time. You can orient towards any of these directions. As it feels appropriate for you. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, delicious! <laughs> it just feels the most natural way of being uh, in this expanded um, space within and embrace by that. Um, so, Linda. I wonder if, for those of uh, of us who might not know about your journey, if you could share something about, like, what propelled you on a healing journey and on a part of becoming a therapist and helping others heal.
1: Um. So I was a messed up teenager, and I was a messed up young adult. Um, I had troubles with the juvenile justice system. I got expelled from school. I had struggles with addiction. And then somewhere in my 30s, it was 2014, I got the Body Keeps the Score on the day that it came out. And it gave me a template and a a roadmap forward. And yet there was so much in my own history that I didn't realise played a role in how I was turning up in the world. And so it was greatly soothing to know that it wasn't about what was wrong with me, it was about what happened to me, yeah. And so as a former child refugee, I got to unpack some of that trauma that I didn't realise that that happened at the age of two and yet had had longitudinal consequences for myself and my family, and putting together the pieces of what it actually means to be forcibly displaced, to have to uproot oneself and move somewhere else, and yet to experience paradoxically um, a sense of soothing around the fact that I went through that with my family. And so they weren't the source and the cause of any trauma. And so to recognise that Oh, that there was a path forward for me. And so I did the work of healing my own trauma, um, working on my attachment stuff. However, the symptoms that I had didn't match what um, like all the trauma all the trauma symptoms, right? And it didn't match all the attachment sy- symptoms. And I'm thinking, man, I'm really messed up because here, according to all of this, it says I've incredibly disorganized attachment. And yet there was no abuse between my parents and myself. There was simply benign neglect. And and I'm talking like I discovered Alaska and I went there to hide out from the world. I live in a log cabin down a trail in the woods without running water um, to get away from the world and to get away from the constructs of the modern world where i'd go into town once every few weeks or once every few months to get supplies then go back and live in my little in my little secluded hole and at one point i realized hang on this is how the vietnam veterans live here in alaska they come here to hide out from the world and how is it that we are so same same but different in terms of our stories but same same but yet there's that peace in common around war yeah um, and then i I started getting even more curious about about why it was that here's how I present, but here's what the research says. And so if you like, I invite you to write down these words. Um, Internalised devaluation, pervasive self-assessment, Learned voicelessness, psychological homelessness, not knowing who you belong to, where you fit in, feeling betwixt and between all worlds. Yeah, um, rage, as well as inhibited anger. Like the inability to set boundaries or even ask what I want, and then rage would pop out. <laughs> Survival orientation, idealization of qualities of the abuser or the people in power, just idealization of, of their qualities. And then complex and ambiguous. Accumulated collective grief and loss. Mm. Ambiguous and complex accumulated grief and loss. Mm. And I remember looking at that list and going, oh, that's complex developmental trauma. This is like what I've studied, right? This is what I'm... (laughs) and then i looked at the author of the work and it was dr kenneth hardy who's a black psychologist who specializes in the racial in the invisible wounds of racialized trauma and that was when i went oh my god this entire time i've been misdiagnosing myself with a pathology and blaming my parents And the more that I unpacked Ken Hardy's body of work, the more I saw that this applied to bodies that are marginalised by society, including femme bodies, yeah, and I see that in these spaces there's typically a lot more femme bodies, yeah, Um, disabled bodies, BIPOC bodies, neurodivergent bodies and minds, Um, queer bodies. And what I see happening so often, and I've talked about this with my BIPOC colleagues, is that they say, oh, I go to a therapist and I talk about my social anxiety and my anxiety in the world and the first question they ask is, what was your relationship with your mother like? And they fail to recognise that there's a big missing piece when it comes to our attachment relationship with society, and how society perceives us, witnesses us, reflects our coherence back to us, or actually doesn't <laughs> reflect our coherence back to us. And coherence is a big word for attachment theorists, right? I think you know that your your caregiver gives you a sense of coherence, wholeness, that you make sense. And when that doesn't happen, we split into parts. So I'm just going to pause here and just give us a space to rock ourselves, to digest some of this. Mm -mm. And I'm also open to unpacking some of this in conversation with um, yourself, um, Zaya Maritza, as well as with the community before we move on to the next pieces of this. Because <coughs> I love emergence. I love organicity. Hmm. Well, there
2: I'm almost done, but um, I, I just wonder, like, where do you feel... Um, The attachment model kind of failed you uh, in your own understanding. I mean, this list is incredibly uh, expensive. So um, maybe we can just like the last one. Just hit me Mm -hmm. a complex, complex accumulated grief, collective grief,
0: and ambiguous, and
2: ambiguous. So there is no words, there is no language, but we all have felt it and we all carry the grief of our people, community. Um, Yeah. So that's something really hit me very deep. And I never, I don't have anything to orient to begin to uh, digest that. Yes.
1: So we often, so trauma is what happened that shouldn't have happened. Trauma is also what didn't happen that should have happened. Grief is I have something and now it's gone. And grief is also I didn't get something. And the not getting of that has left a pervasive emptiness on my inner landscape. And yet I don't get what it is that I didn't get. And so I move through the world bereft of something that I can't name. And then we add on top of that the fact that you can't grieve when you're in survival mode. We don't grieve when we're in survival mode. We're trying to get ahead. And so we stuff down our losses. We suck it up and stuff it down. We rub some dirt on it and we keep moving. And then we add on top of that the layer of yeah, and Resma Menikam says this, that trauma decontextualized in an individual looks like identity, and trauma decontextualized in a family looks like family traits, and trauma decontextualized in a people's looks like culture. And so we know from the attachment research that parents with unresolved losses have a significant impact upon the developmental trajectory of the child because our developmentally appropriate losses aren't held or recognized by our parents. I mean my I grew up with my dad saying to me, at least you're not we're not getting bombs dropped on us anymore. Right? That was his response to, <laughs> to um, you know, a kid stealing my lunch or bullying me or, you know, <laughs> just inappropriate stuff. And so I had I I didn't get to develop a skill set for grief because my parents weren't able to help me, and the thing is, trauma says exposure equals death, and grief says all I need is witnessing.
0: Mm.
1: So then you have a catch twenty two where the healing that comes from having your grief, your grievances, be witnessed and held, um, can feel treacherous. When you've had your grief or your grievances be minimised, dismissed, argued with, um, victim blamed, yeah, when you've been told, "Well, you got a government handout, you should be happy," right? It's a, it's 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 like it's like attachment. I mean, I, there's a attachment theorist, um, Carlin Lyons-Ruth, who takes video footage of interaction between parents and children. And then she follows them longitudinally over time and she pinpointed the exact sequence of things that happened for for children who as adults develop extreme abandonment um, disorders, symptoms, expressions, manifestations, yeah. And what she saw when you slow down the video footage is – Um, There's the stranger with the infant playing on the ground. Parent comes back and then the the infant crawls towards the the mother typically and then infant gets into a certain proximity and the mother takes a half step back and the infant stops and then collapses. It's so quick. Mm -hmm. And then the mother comes along, picks up the infant, puts the infant down in amongst a bunch of toys and gives objects. Yeah. So the infant learns to soothe with objects Right, So there we get the soothing through objects. But how different is that to me walking down the street with my parents as a child and people come towards us, stop, and then, like, just that stop, right, and then taking a half step back, yeah, or walking onto the other side of the road. I mean, this is 1979 in Australia, country, rural Australia, or people who would come and help, like really good, well-intentioned people who would come to help, but they'd they'd come, they'd stop, they'd be the step back and then they'd give us clothing or food or whatever and then, like, out of here. But I couldn't help but see those parallels the very first time when I saw that footage. And so part of the collected, ambiguous, Complicated, complex grief and loss is um, that we're supposed to be grateful. Mm. How many of us, as children, were told you have to just be grateful? You have it so much better than what I did, right? So we can extrapolate that. There's so many experiences. Well, at least your husband doesn't hit you, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you know, the ways in which that there, that violence then becomes lateralized amongst communities within our own communities where we're supposed to be safe, right? And so that's like, it's just the snowball. It's the snowball. Mm. Mm.
2: And what I'm also sensing, Linda, is like our parents, they were living in a survival mode. So grief, they didn't have the opportunity to grieve. Even grief was not a concept for them. So here we are uh, feeling that the weight of the grief and often when we begin on this journey, we don't even know what we're grieving, but it's like so enormous and heavy that it's there, but you can't even speak to it uh, because we don't, yeah. So it's passed down, it lives in our nervous systems and our bodies, but we don't have language, we don't have words. Maybe we have a little bit of history that really helps. Um, and so I just wonder for your own journey, like where did you begin touching that enormous grief? And also through the grief for me personally, I have developed enormous compassion for my parents. Basically the blame in time became compassion.
1: Um, I wonder if that in any way resonates with you or... Yes. It's actually really quite fascinating with grief because we tend to go in one of two directions. We tend to have this experience of tears that I don't know what I have to cry over, but there's just so many tears in there that if I start crying, I don't know if I'd stop. Um, And then there are those of us who are like, grief, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Like we actually are uh, so, um, and that was me, I had no idea that there was that much grief there, zero. I knew that it was trauma because of the body keeps the score. And I went and did all of my own trauma work. And I I end up in these community singing spaces as a result of the trauma work because I've been hearing Bessel say for five years, hey, uh, you know, this interpersonal rhythms, right? This is what gets lost with complex developmental trauma. It's good to be able to develop interpersonal rhythms. And you can do that through singing and drumming and dancing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So after five years, I found myself in a, a song group and it was call and response singing. And the body may keep the score, but song will reveal the truth in your soul. And so we started singing and I found myself crying. And I was like, holy shit, like this, this there's something here and the the um the leader the song leader said hey my teacher's going to be here on the weekend um if you want to come to Lisa G Littlebird's workshop then come and i was supposed to be in a, a Peter Levine and Bessel van der Kolk Experience that weekend, and I'm like, boom, I'm out of, I'm out of there. <laughs> I'm going to go sing. So I switched over my workshops, and I just found myself crying. And so when there was another, and I'm not a crier, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stuffer, right? And so then six months after that, there was a community so week we of singing, and I totally had a total come apart in ways that were magnificent, like absolutely magnificent. Yeah, because I mean, do you want to sing with me? Do you want to see, see what emerges and be curious? i <laughs> 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 okay this this song is by Sugar. I was told
2: at a very young age I, I I shouldn't even try singing so I'm just giving that <laughs> I have residue of that
0: and I, and I live with a song in my head 24 7 I sing in my head 24 7 we are exactly the opposite no, that's it. right so
1: just
2: that's just
0: so you know that's
1: the, ca- the,
0: notebook. the- <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, it's okay you can just repeat the words or mouth the words or Pretend that you're singing. (laughs) So this is by Shireen Armini. Um, So I'll sing one line if you like. You can sing or say or whisper the words back. I I survived that well. I survived that well. And it's over now. And And it's it's over now. I can come down. I can can come come down. Even smile and feel proud. Even smile and feel proud. And we'll repeat, I survived that wow.
0: I survived well,
1: and it's over now, and And it's it's over
0: now,
1: I can calm down, I can calm down, even smile and feel proud, even smile and feel proud. If it's okay, let go of the thinking mind, just... Come into the feeling of the vibration moving through your body because every song is medicine. Every song has a spirit of the song. Mm. And this song has been sung by thousands of people who've taken the, who've experienced the medicine of this song. So let's do that again. I survived that well.
0: I survived that
1: well. And it's over now. And it's, it's over, over now. now. <coughs> I can come down. I can come down. Even smile and feel proud. Even smile and feel proud. We survive that wow. Well. We, we survive that, that well. And it's over now, and And
2: it's it's over
1: now, we can come down, we can come come down, even smile and feel proud, even
0: Even smile and feel proud,
1: you survived that well, you survived survived
0: that well. well
1: and it's over now
0: and it's over
1: now you can come down you, you can, can come, come down even smile and feel proud even, even smile and feel proud so let's energetically reconnect to the seven directions And being in this space together. Every song is a prayer. We survived that wow. And it's over now. We can come down. Even smile and feel proud. So, just Mm -hmm. notice who the we was that appeared in your space for you. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, the body keeps the score, but song will reveal the truth in your soul. And the ancient technology that weaves its way through all cultures is song and story and movement and silence. And in this week of community singing, I had moments where the grief that was locked beneath the surface that I was unaware of um, revealed itself. Because it was time. All right, so we talk about Kairos and Kronos. Kronos is clock time, Kairos is soul time. And so there's a soul time that is emergent within our space in this moment for some of us. I won't speak for others. Yeah.
2: We've been traveling, Linda, for the past year, Mm -hmm. visiting different indigenous communities around the world. And the song is at the heart of healing, singing, and community space. And every time we went to ask about trauma, Mm -hmm. and any communities, when we even said the word trauma, they were like, we don't know what that is. Like... Can you explain this? We don't have concept, we don't have a word for it or um, because there is no concept of an individual that there is a, and going back to actually attachment, some of the most secure attached children I've seen in those communities, like we were in the Amazon and children were running from, home to, from hut to hut and the first few days, I was like, whose child is this? Like, who is the mother here? And who is the <laughs> you know? Like, I come with it, less. like, who is the mother of this one? And the little one is just running and being held by everyone and barefoot, naked with the land, with the community and you know that's where for me attachment theory completely I I was really disoriented and I wonder if yeah how how do you see it and it's clearly the attachment for that child was coming from community and from the land and from the creatures and the beings living on the land because he had such an intimate relationship with the snakes with the With the birds, they were landing on his shoulders, and so that to me completely opened uh, my, um, yeah, Western psychotherapeutic mindset that I was looking for that like primary
1: um, connection and caregiver. Yes. Yeah. So what um, what you're also speaking to there, Zaya, is ambiguous grief. Right? It's something you never got, and yet deep in your bones, you are yearning for a village, mm-hmm. right? And yet, unless we name it, it can't become normalised, and then we can't actually grieve something that we never got that we know deep in our bones. So a more expansive conceptualization of secure attachment, secure attachment to ancestors. Your ancestors can be your bloodline ancestors. It can also be your activist ancestors, transcestors, as they're called in the queer community. It can be your professional ancestors, your spiritual ancestors, the teachers of your teachers of your teachers of your teachers. These are all ancestors, those who have come before. It can also be your ancestors of rock and stone and lichen and algae, right? Those ancestors with the capital A, the elementals of wind and earth and air and fire and wood and water. And when we look at the evolution of the cosmos, Yeah, or just let's just start with life on Earth. Let's just start the evolution of life on Earth. For my ancestors to have existed, we needed to co-evolve and co-exist alongside our fish siblings, right? Our coconut siblings, our caribou siblings here in in Alaska, Hmm. And when I am hiking in the high mountains of Alaska and I'm on my hands and knees and drinking from a mountain stream just with my mouth touching the water, I am engaging in an ant that connects me to the caribou ancestors of this landscape because I'm walking along trails that have been etched into the landscape because generations upon generations of animals have walked this landscape. So that's ancestors. So that's secure attachment with ancestors. Then we have secure attachment with nature, secure attachment with the seasons and the months and the days and the weather, and to be able to name what shifts in the natural world around you at different times of the year i feel landed into a place when i get into a cab and i say what's what happens here at this time of year what happens in this landscape and they'll say you know the river does this and the sun does this And these animals go into hibernation and these animals start to wake up and these flowers start to blossom and you can harvest this. And like that is secure attachment to nature. It's the plant world. It's the animal kingdom. It's the shifts in the water table. And it's also throughout the day as well. You know, like there's insects that emerge at different times of the day and there's a symphony that happens throughout the day of what's happening. And see, our our ancestors help us to tend to nature. They help us to have a relationship with nature where we take care of each other. Then we have secure attachment to culture, which is secure attachment to language, to traditions and customs that mark the passage of the transitions of human development over the course of a lifetime within a village setting. So there may be rituals and ceremony that mark the births, deaths, marriages, coming of age. Yeah. When someone comes, when a visitor comes, when a visitor leaves, when there's a transition in the village, perhaps a village moves for wet season and then dry season. Yeah. There may be things that we do like in you go to Bali and every full moon and new moon, the village stops and engages in ceremony together. Right. In my family, every full moon and new moon, we we eat vegetarian. Like that's, yeah, and then we come together and there's um, there's special prayers for the ancestors that we do on those days. And with all of these rituals and customs, song, story, movement and silence are the ancient technologies that weave their way through all cultures, yeah. The special foods that you eat at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, the people that you go see. The way in which you prepare your body, your clothing, your food, right? It becomes a connection to something larger than yourself. Mm-hmm. I actually believe that that's um, part of the the and the, it's part of the antecedents to cultural appropriation. Right, like people feeling bereft of culture and wanting to get a sense of being a part of something bigger, and then we appropriate, you know, aspects of other cultures. Yeah. Or we can. Yeah. But I also see that that it's a, it's a, it's how we get a sense of identity. Culture gives us a sense of identity. And with identity, we get a sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves. Then there's secure attachment to time. And secure attachment, I mean, we have very anxious attachment to time really? <laughs> in this modern life, <laughs> right? And so we're talking about life spans. Like I'm a pearl on a string of pearls. Yeah. Um, you know, may, may this work hold resonance for seven generations, yeah it's it's part of that relationship to time and then to be able to acknowledge bumblebee time versus redwood time yeah and then lastly it's secure attachment to our bodies mm. and to the communal body to touch to movement, to pleasure, to sleep, to rest, to play, and to work. That my body is not an object, that nature is not an object, that time is not an object, right? <laughs> So anyway, all of the, these aspects of this, this expansive conceptualization of secure attachment that we osmocize through culture gives us a cosmology. And this cosmology was what helped me to repair my relationship with my parents. I have experienced benefit from traditional From attachment theory and learning about attachment theory. And yet it had some shortcomings, which range from unhelpful through to harmful, yeah. And I also want to acknowledge, and maybe we'll get to it, maybe we won't, um, that I learned some very specific techniques for repairing that parental secure attachment through studying with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. However... What helped me to get from mess with my parents (laughs) to being able to do that work with him, yeah, was being able to place myself and my parents in a larger web of expansiveness. And I noticed that shift immediately because I would turn up and be with my parents and... We're displaced peoples. And a primary fundamental foundational need of humans is for a place. Right? And that place is in our parents' arms, right or in our community's arms, but there's also the need for a place place. And so when you're displaced, I need to place myself and place my parents somewhere Mm. within a larger cosmology so that the rift between us is actually insignificant. Mm. And so that was a huge part of my healing journey with my parents. Yeah. And then afterwards came the, you know, <laughs> the work with Bessel. <laughs> but let's, pause, let's just pause here. Let's just pause because I can see Maurizio, you're deep in the thought. And oh, I
0: mean, basically, you, you bloom. I know my ancestor, my grandmother specifically, gave me a song in my head 24 7 to protect me from the pain. I got that in during an ayahuasca ceremony in which they told me, yeah, you know why you have those songs because I'm here. We, we gave it to you to protect you. And this is the first time I, I felt this, the use of a song, use of the song is not the right word, not for negation of the experience of the pain that I, I feel and the grief that I cannot manage that was given to me to protect my mom died when I was a, young boy and I felt the song instead as a portal to express it instead of close it. So you gave me an incredible gift that I don't know how to digest yet, but I but it's moving inside me in always and I'm completely mm. so thank you.
1: Well you're welcome. You're so welcome Aurizio you know, we we talk about intergenerational trauma and we rarely talk about intergenerational resilience in a way that can encompass, be bigger than the trauma. As a thread, right, a thread. And that's what I'm hearing as we're interacting. I just hear this magical thread that I've just pulled on that already exists inside of you.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a song for that as well. <laughs> 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 yeah, my grief teacher taught me this. He's an esteemed elder, Lawrence Cole. It's a, it's not a call and echo song. Um, but I'll just sing it for you. It's William Stafford's poem, The Way It Is, and it's about the thread. i I'll see if I can remember it. There is a thread. There is a thread you carry. It goes among things that change. But it doesn't change. People wonder. About what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the threat. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt and die you you suffer and get old nothing you do can stop times unfolding but you never let go of the thread.
0: And the thread is becoming more and more apparent that with this last movie I, I know my parents, my grandparents are here. I see them when I look to the right, I see my mom and the rest right, see my dad with their parents yeah and and now it's it's you know everything is unfolding. I feel the thread is is, is giving me space. The thread was always stuck and now I feel in, in the last year or two more and more the thread is like I see the birds, I hear the yeah, thank you. It's so beautiful this journey of being alive. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I really appreciated giving you giving us larger context of ancestry and who are our ancestors because many of us might struggle with the ancestors on a human um, realm, right? But. Uh, we all have a secure attachment in us with water, with nature, with other more than human worlds. So what I heard in your journey, you kind of reclaimed or you ta- retasted again what it means, secure attachment, through those relationships. And then you found a way to bring that back in your um, primary cares, um, relationship and connections, which is, uh, yeah, it's a journey we can all take for those of us who do struggle with beginning with our primary care, f- take cares and immediate family. I don't know if there is anything you want to add to that, but many of us have been really hurt in those relationships and, it's too painful to begin
1: there. Yeah. Beautiful. I also claim in amongst my bloodline ancestors, those who showed any sort of kindness to any of my bloodline ancestors. Yeah. The, the Any teachers of any of my bloodline ancestors. Anyone who made a difference in anyone's life along the way, even though from the outside it may not have looked quite pleasant, but there was, I believe there was some shift that happened somewhere, you know, that accumulates also over time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And the
2: same with culture. Many of us have cultural wounds. Yes. So um, it's not like romanticizing, once I connect to my culture, I will be healed, but it's kind of holding both, the the wounds that are in the culture that I have, and and yet, my sense of belonging is there as well. It's built into the culture. And
1: yes. Well, it's 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 that piece around curiosity, right? The decontextualization of trauma in a people's looks like culture. Mm. And so for me to go, oh, what is it about my Vietnamese people that drives me batshit because I have to like do whatever it is that everyone else is doing and take care of other people like all the time, right, which drives me nuts. And yet at the same time, like the fear of being left behind or standing out or being different is like gripping. But yet I can reframe that as a survival trait, right? Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. In graduate school, I learned that that's the – symptomatology of alcoholic families. And at the time, I was furious, but I didn't have the words to explain to someone that when you have experienced communism, fascism, authoritarianism, lived in a body that is being targeted by society, don't trust, don't talk, don't feel, are survival strategies. And so that little bit of curiosity can just help to shift things just a little bit about one's own culture so that we can develop discernment, discernment about what it is that we choose to inherit, what parts of our inheritance are heirlooms and what parts of our inheritance we choose to leave behind.
2: Yeah, yeah. The relationality in which we embedded in, they don't have to look far to to get in touch with it. What a beautiful invitation for moment to moment practice and emergence and to yeah, to notice and celebrate that relationality, yeah. You know, Linda, it has been such, such a, a delight, delight to be <laughs> in conversation and space and in song with you and in tears with you. And I apologize for those um, questions and human beings we couldn't get to, but I hope in the future we might have a chance to continue yes. our conversation. Name. And um Linda, if you can let people know how they can connect with you or if there is any other offering you
1: have that they can follow you. Sure, thank you. Um, I have a website. It's www.linda-tai.com. I teach classes into the world, so you'll see a lot of my offerings in the upcoming event section as well as uh, on-demand and live classes. Uh, I have a monthly newsletter. I only send a newsletter once a month. I might send something during the month, maybe one out of three or four months. Um, You can see my past newsletter archive on the website as well so that you don't have to subscribe. You can just check that out. Um, And then I also have Facebook if you prefer to keep in touch via Facebook. Yeah. And thank you for listening to The Sounds of Sand We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAN content, available exclusively to SAN members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be well.